Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from ToLoveHonorAndVacuum.com, where we like to talk about how to make marriage a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And today, this is going to be a bit of a heavier podcast, and so just a trigger warning before we start. We're going to be talking about sexual abuse and the repercussions in marriage and how people can deal with it afterwards. And so if that's your story, I hope you find this podcast really helpful. But if this is also something that you would find too difficult to listen to, we just want to warn you beforehand. So before we get started with our questions, I just want to say a few things about abuse and and get those sorted out first, because Sexual abuse is one of the most harmful things that somebody can go through. You know, the Bible talks about sex as being a deep knowing of someone, like a deep, intimate knowing. And what abuse does is it takes something which is supposed to be a deep knowing, and it turns it into just a using and a taking. And so, in essence, when you're abused, the the abuser is saying, I don't want to know you. You don't matter. You only exist for how I can use you. And that's one of the reasons why it's so terrible, because it it almost erases you as a person. And that's never been God's design for us. But that's why it can hurt so much. And we need to find ways, and thankfully there are ways, and we'll talk about some of them in this podcast, to reclaim some of that and to get healing, because God doesn't want you stuck. And it breaks our hearts that so many people have walked through that. I also want to say sometimes the reason that abuse can be so confusing is that you can actually feel aroused during abuse. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. It's it's a it's something called arousal non-concordance when your body acts in a way that your brain doesn't want it to. So just because you got aroused does not mean that you wanted it or consented to it. And I think that's really important to say, because a lot of people don't understand that your body can act in ways that you don't want it to. And especially when you're being abused, the trauma response goes off, like the fight, flight, or freeze response goes off, which means that everything is heightened. And that can actually make it sometimes easier to get aroused (laughs) because of that heightened. And so it does not mean that you wanted it at all. And often abusers will tell us that, you know, the reason that, that they're doing this to us is because we were too alluring or we were leading them on and giving us all these messages that it was our fault. And it's it's never your fault if someone abuses you. It really isn't. So let's delve into some of these questions. And I want to see what your first response is to this one, okay. because I know what my first response <laughs> is. Okay, so here we go. Let's see if you have the same one. So this, this woman asks, one thing I'd like to read about is how to be intimate when dealing with flashbacks of sexual abuse. And we'll, we'll deal with that in a sec. But it's the second part that I find really interesting, especially when the abuser is someone in your family that you have to see a few times per year. Why do you have to see them? Okay, same response. That's what I was wondering too. No, if someone sexually abused you, why do you have to see them? And this is part of the problem when sexual abuse happens in families, I think, is that often the impetus on the part of families is to keep the family together. Yeah. And to make everything look like it's all hunky-dory. And so what we need to do is we need to make the abused person forgive. Yeah, and if it's like a, par- a parental figure or a grandparent who did the abusing, like, I, there is no reason that you need to see them. And if you're trying to keep kind of everyone happy, which I know people who have been abused tend to be more compliant mm-hmm. and tend to be more people-pleasing, just studies have shown, not everyone, but it's more... Mm-hmm. It's more likely. But if you've been abused, you don't need to see that person. There are some situations that are more complicated if it's not clear who the abused party was, because especially when it's kids, mm-hmm. often abused kids abuse their siblings and their siblings are all... like. It just becomes very messy if you're in a really, really bad situation. And mm-hmm. I've, I've worked with some of those kids and jobs, and, and it is more complicated in those areas. But if you were harmed by a caregiver... 
don't see that caregiver and you don't have to you don't Mm -hmm. have to and sometimes it's an older sibling too and you just don't need to see them and and if if it's the only way for you to see your other siblings like for instance if christmas is the only time where everybody gets together i think it's perfectly okay to say i can't handle this Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when parents or other family members put pressure on you to forgive and to act like everything's okay and how come you can't get over this and how come you can't forgive, that's on them, that's not on you. Yeah. And you need to take care of your own emotional health and mental health. Yeah, and no matter what the circumstances were that you were abused, you have the choice to say, I'm just not going to be exposed to that anymore, mm-hmm. and no you, matter what. And it's okay for you to say to your parents or whoever is organizing these family reunions, it hurts me that you expect me to see this person. Yeah. It hurts me that you will not honor me. And if you want to continue a relationship with me, then you need to start honoring my experience as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's perfectly okay. There's another question about flashbacks. So let's get into that as well. So here she asks, I am currently in a serious relationship where we will most likely be getting married next summer. We are both virgins and have committed to save sex for marriage. I have a difficult past in that I was sexually abused by my father and a pastor for many years, though never penetrated. Okay, it doesn't matter if you weren't penetrated. You don't you don't need to give any any caveats like it wasn't that bad. No, it was bad. It doesn't matter whether it was penetration and or I, not. And it I was think bad. she's getting the caveat because she wants to know she's still a virgin. But, but like, it's okay. Like even if you had been raped with penetration, that doesn't take away from the virginity aspect of mm-hmm. it. Like you mm-hmm. still haven't had sex. You've only been raped. Right? Yes, so. you have not had consensual sex. So that that yeah, and and we really need to change the terminology around that because by stressing virginity, we do really shame sexual abuse survivors. So we need to, we need to change that. Okay. So she was raised in the purity movement. Oh, there we go. go. I've gone through extensive counseling concerning the abuse and I really feel like I've emotionally healed from it. I've released my abusers to God. I have made strict boundaries and now I have peace about the past. Good. But a new issue has risen that I don't know what to do with. I sometimes get triggered when my boyfriend and I kiss. I'm okay as long as I'm the one initiating or more dominant. And if my body is upright or I'm leaning over him, but anytime he becomes more passionate or dominant in the kissing, or if his body pushes me backward even slightly, I panic because I have a flashback of the day my dad leaned over on top of me and kissed my neck and molested me. The trigger is so strong. I don't like being on my back at all with anybody looking over me, such as a chiropractor. It makes me feel trapped, powerless, and exposed. I feel incredibly safe with my boyfriend, and he is a very gentle, tender-hearted man, nothing like the abusers in my life. But these certain positions and moments of passion just feel so repulsive to me at times and remind me of how I felt used and completely out of control around my abusers. My boyfriend has been extremely understanding and patient with me, and we recently came up with a safe word, break, that I can say to immediately stop physical contact, but I would really like to get over these triggers completely, especially the part of being on my back. I've got to get to that point before we're married and try sex. Help. I'm glad she knows that she has to get over the triggers before they try sex. Mm-hmm. Because you really don't want your first time having sex to be triggering and mm-hmm. terrible. Mm-hmm. Although I do want to say that you can do the woman on top position. Yes. yes. So, you know, if, if being on your back is really triggering, it doesn't need to be that position. But at the same time, a lot of it also seems that if he just gets caught mm-hmm. up in the moment, which... It's going to happen during Yes, sex. it's going to happen. Then she's triggered. Yeah. So she says she's been through counseling, which is wonderful. Sometimes, though, not all counseling 
is equal. Yeah, like there's actual evidence-based treatments to deal with flashbacks and deal with trauma specifically, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. the emotional ramifications of trauma. Yes. So if you've only had like CBT kind of therapy or talk therapy or... CBT meaning cognitive, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy or... But not like a complex trauma mm-hmm. CBT kind mm-hmm. of treatment. Like there's there's a lot of very specific treatments that licensed psychologists can help you with such as EMDR is it EMDR yeah EMDR yeah Mm -hmm. EMDR therapies and if you're having flashbacks you need more than just talk therapy is what I'm saying yes Mm -hmm. and and they really they really can be very helpful so I think it's wonderful they've got a code word sorry and by talk therapy I don't mean like because there's some of these specific trauma-related treatments are in the form of a talk therapy. I'm talking about it was a normal kind of talk therapy you would go to see for emotional distress, not mm-hmm. for trauma. That's right. what I mean. Finding someone who's been trained in trauma therapies is so important. You know, uh, recently when we were getting the endorsements for The Great Sex Rescue, our book that's coming out in March, in March of 2021, I was talking to Rachel Den Hollander, who led the Larry Nasser takedown, Larry Nasser for sexual abuse, and such a courageous woman. And she sent me something in an email that I wanted to read to to you about how her husband Jacob has helped her deal with a lot of this. She said that she she just wants to give an encouragement to both survivors and the spouse walking alongside that working through the abuse together can be a long road, but it's a beautiful redemptive road. Eventually associations will be reshaped into the positive memories and experiences and a safe, secure, tender spouse walking the road to redemptive sexuality can bring a depth of healing that seems beyond possible. Yep. And I just love that. I think that's such a picture of what Christian marriage is supposed to be, about how your spouse can actually be Jesus' hands and feet. Like, he, like your spouse can be the vehicle through which God helps you heal. And it sounds like she's got an amazing guy that she's going to marry and that he's wonderful. And so we just want to encourage you, no matter what kind of flashbacks and triggers you're having, get that therapy, get all the treatments you can, but also remember that over time, your spouse may become one of your best sources of healing just in their love and you will build new memories. And and so I just want to give that hope to you as well. Okay, here's another one from a woman who needs some, who needs some help. She says, I am currently divorced and here's a part of my story. My first childhood memory is of being raped at the age of three. That's, wow. Raised in a religious household, I then waited for marriage. I married the only man I ever dated at the age of 25. I was afraid that my childhood trauma, which did greatly make me afraid of men, would impact our sex life, but it didn't have a chance to as my husband got mad at me for something on our wedding night and went to sleep. I also then went to sleep, and then I woke up to being raped in the middle of the night. 17 years later, I am out. After trying to be a good submissive wife and available sexually to my husband despite repeated incidents of this nature. I am so sorry. And this just emphasizes that rape can happen in marriage. Yep. We tend to think that rape is something that happens outside of marriage, but a marriage, a wedding ring is not a consent form. Like it doesn't mean that you have now consented to everything for the rest of your life. (laughs) Just because someone is with their husband does not necessarily mean that they are safe. Yes. And a lot of marriages are not safe. We did another podcast on this. We will put the link to that podcast in the description for this one. And we have a post on how to recognize rape in marriage because that is important. Sometimes rape isn't, isn't physical force. You can be coerced if he simply is terrible to you unless you have sex with him or he withholds money unless you have sex with him or he's bad to the kids unless you have sex with him or all kinds of other things. That's still coercion and that's wrong. 
Okay, so she says, my divorce has been final for a while and I am not yet ready to date, but I do hope to remarry at some point in the future. And I find my mind sometimes trying to process the pain and memories and situations I was in. I think it's time for me to begin some of the healing process before I get anywhere near dating or marriage. And then she just asks what the best way to do this is. And again, trauma therapy. Licensed trauma-informed therapy. And we, we want to stress, too, that a lot of churches offer counseling. Don't go to churches counseling. And, and you know, that can be helpful for some things, for sure. But, but something like this needs someone who's specifically trained. Because sometimes churches make the mistake of labeling all emotional problems as a spiritual issue. Yeah, like you just need to give it to Jesus. Yes. It's like, yes, okay, (laughs) give it to Jesus. But like we don't, there's more than that. Yeah. It's like Jesus would not be withholding treatment from this person just saying, well, haven't you given it over to me enough yet? It's like, no, like Jesus wants this person to get an actual treatment. Yes. It is not acting like Jesus to see an abused person and to give them faulty treatment because you have not been licensed to deal with abuse and you know that, but you refuse to hand them off to someone who has because you don't believe in secular psychology. Mm-hmm. That is not like Christ. But trauma does have effects on the brain. Yeah, you do see increased metabolic activity in areas of the brain that have to do with your fear response, your fight or flight area, your emotion and processing so in essence they're kind of always in this in this panic mode more so than people who haven't been mistreated like this yeah so you're just you never because you were in fight flight or freeze and you never got to resolve that and so trauma therapy helps you tell your body that hey i'm not i'm not at risk anymore i'm safe because your body doesn't feel safe after trauma and your brain is actually trying to protect you like your brain's trying to be good to you (laughs) your brain's trying to make it less likely that you will have trauma Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, which is often why if you've been sexually abused your brain's like yeah we don't want to have sex yes (laughs) because that's your your brain has learned sex Mm -hmm. equals abuse right so it's it's just horrible so yeah so your brain's trying to be good to you but in doing that it's actually making your life a little bit harder now and so going to a therapist can help this is not your fault it's not that you don't have enough faith it's not that you have haven't forgiven it's not any of those things it's that your brain thinks i'm still in danger (laughs) and you need to teach your brain how how not to think that and just simply having the peace that passes all understanding isn't enough for that and i i I hate saying that because it makes it sound like jesus is enough but what i mean is that the way that jesus heals us is through this trauma therapy (laughs) because god created this brain that that tries to keep us safe it's really complex and we need to acknowledge that and and seek the proper treatments when we're there speaking of forgiveness here is a woman who asks this my husband was very abusive for years i tried leaving several times but i honestly think it was god that would always stop me in my tracks i think god saw something in him and knew things would change most of the abuse wasn't physical and even when it was he never injured me now he is really trying to be nice i mean really trying and i don't think it's another back and forth to manipulate me i think he honestly wants to be better but i can't forgive him i feel like if i do i am giving him back that power over me but i want to serve jesus and i want to save my marriage how can i forgive him so this one isn't about sexual abuse per se it's abuse in marriage but i thought i thought it fit today as we were talking about abuse if you ever have to say most of the abuse wasn't physical Mm-hmm. That, in my mind, she's already discounting the abuse that he did to her. Mm-hmm. Like, well, most of it wasn't physical, so it's okay. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and studies have um, shown that emotional abuse is just as harmful in the long Well, run. I'm going to say, even if, like, everyone, if, like, here's the thing. People have different opinions on emotional abuse in the highly conservative Christian church. Mm-hmm. But 
everyone agrees that physical abuse is an absolute no-no, get out of there immediately. And mm -hmm. she's downplaying the physical abuse. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. means, in my mind, like, the, the whole going back again and again and again, has that been done with a openness to actually understanding how bad it is? Yeah. Or, like, what I want to make sure is that she actually knows that she's worthy of not being abused. Right. Which it sounds like... She she is. Yeah. But downplaying that you are physically abused is a huge red flag when it's like, I might go back, but it's okay, the physical abuse wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. If there was physical abuse at all, mm -hmm. like, because that's just because obviously emotional abuse is also terrible, but physical abuse is cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Like, he hits you or he doesn't mm -hmm. kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? Like, and obviously there are other kinds of physical abuse. That's just an example, right? Yeah. Like, he got physical. That's, mm -hmm. a, that's a clear line of the sand that was crossed mm -hmm. and she's downplaying it. Mm -hmm. and saying how can I can I forgive him and I'm like well sure forgive him but don't let him have that power over you mm -hmm. he abused you for years mm -hmm. sometimes the reaping and sowing principle is that you don't get to be married to that person anymore if you mistreated him for a long time yeah and I want to look at, at one of the questions that she asked because I think in these cases we're often asking the wrong question yeah so she says I want to serve Jesus and I want to save my marriage so you know how can I save my marriage that's not the point no, it's how I want to serve Jesus, but I also want to make sure that I'm safe. Yeah, and, and it's also our desire in this life should be how do I glorify God? How do I walk with Jesus? How do I find his will for my life? And Jesus cares more about you than he does about yeah. your marriage. Yeah, and I just, when you read stuff like this, I'm just, I just want her to be safe. And mm -hmm. like, you just don't want her to go back to another bad situation. It sounds like she's gone and come back, gone and come back. And she can do whatever she wants to do. Yeah, you are, you are free now. Yeah. Now, does this mean that no marriages can ever be saved after someone's abusive? No, they probably can. I would say it's a very small minority because usually abusive people are abusive people and they have major character issues that aren't normally changed. But I really think the issue here is learning to value herself. That's what I was going like to say. Said. Like she needs to know that she's very valuable and that she matters just as much mm -hmm. as her abusive husband. And saving the marriage is not on her shoulders. No. And if God does a miraculous thing in his life, in this husband's life, you know, then maybe she's going to feel a release and she's going to see that he's different. Maybe in much time. I was going to say, I think that's maybe. the big thing. Much, much time. Much, much time. And this is the thing. You don't trust someone until they've proven themselves trustworthy. And that means much, much time. Yeah. If someone's been abusing you for years mm -hmm. and then they're really, they seem to have changed. Mm -hmm. Like, you almost got to give it years to make sure the I change think so. stuck. But the other thing is that the way that you tell whether someone has really changed is the reason that they've changed. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people change in order to save the marriage. Again, yeah. wrong, wrong emphasis. So, so they do what they need to do in order to keep the marriage together. And then once the marriage is together, they go back to their old ways. The way that you tell if someone's changed is whether they change for themselves. And I think or simply I, because it's the right thing to do. Right. And that's what I mean, because God's gotten a hold of them and they want to change because they know it's the right thing to do, regardless of whether they get their wife back or not, or their husband back if, if the wife is the abusive one. This is my take on Psalm 51. Okay. And I've shared this a couple of times in the blog, but I was always really confused when David wrote Psalm 51, he was repenting of sexual abusing Bathsheba. Of sending Uriah to his death. Sending Uriah to his death, all of this stuff. And so here, here's this guy. He was a king. He was supposed to be at war. He sent all of his soldiers out to war. So they're all getting killed while he's lounging around at home. And he notices his neighbor's wife. He orders her brought to him. So she had no choice. Like when the king summons you with soldiers, you have no choice, right? If she gets pregnant, et cetera, et cetera, he 
gets Uriah killed and it's all just one big mess. So he's done these horrible things. And then he says in Psalm 51, he's talking to God and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. And I always read that and I'm like, um, seems like he kind of sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba as well. Like what's up with that? And that bothered me for a long time. But then as I started looking more at abuse and what real repentance looks like, I wonder if what David was saying is the reason that I'm repenting is not so that the nation of Israel will think I'm good again. It's not so that I get my reputation back. It's not so that I get my kingship back in the way that I used to have it. It's not, you know, so that I look good and restore all these relationships. It's because I need to do the right thing because it's the right thing. <laughs> and that's that's what abusers need to show is that they're doing the right thing because it's the right thing. It's not just to get you back. And that means that an abuser who is truly changed is going to give you the space to leave. Yeah. Because honestly, if they have been abusing you for years, mm-hmm. if they honestly understand the depth of what they did, which is necessary to be able to trust mm-hmm. them again, mm-hmm. they're going to look at themselves and say, there's no way that you would stay with me. Yeah. And I don't blame you. Yeah. Not in a weird manipulative way. Yeah. Where they're trying to get sympathy, but in an actual, no, like I'm going to give you lots of space and lots Mm -hmm. of room and I'm not going to bother you and I'm not going to text you and I'm not going to reach out to you. I'm just going to give you space or whatever boundaries you set up. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to respect that. And so I would just say that if for someone in this situation, like, first of all, you need to know your worth. Like Mm -hmm. you really do. You do not deserve to be beaten, to be belittled, to be abused, to be mistreated. You do not deserve that. No one does. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing about you that makes you less deserving than Mm -hmm. someone else, which means it's more okay if they abuse you versus if someone else were getting abused. There's nothing about your abuser that makes them so special that the bad things they do can be overlooked because, oh, well, that's just a part of their greater persona and it's Mm -hmm. just a necessary evil no there's nothing of that like if Mm -hmm. you are being abused Mm -hmm. there is absolutely no reason why that would ever be okay and so if you're looking to get back together with an abuser like in essence you have to treat it like it's your best friend who's being abused or your daughter or your daughter yeah Mm -hmm. or your sister or if it was your mother or sometimes you have to get outside of yourself and just say like okay if this were anyone other than me would this be wise Mm mm-hmm You know, because sometimes if you've been so constantly battered down by this person, it can be really hard to be objective. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, too, like, just see a counselor. Yeah. Licensed counselor. Licensed, always licensed. Licensed. And we'll put links to why in the, we have have some articles about this. And that's the thing. We'll put some links in the podcast description. Licensed counseling is more expensive. Yes. Let's say that it's 150 an hour or whatever, 100 an hour, 200, whatever it might be. And let's say that you need 20 sessions. You know, so you're looking at $2,500 or $3,000, whatever it might be, right? That's a lot of money. And I'm not trying to belittle that. Yeah. But in the long run, if that gets you emotionally healthy so that you're able to work better so that you don't fall apart so that you have healthier relationships like think about how much money you spend on things that make you happy (laughs) that you just enjoy doing and this can this can add so much to your life so sometimes it's an investment you really do need well the other thing too is a lot of people who go to unlicensed counselors often find that they need more therapy afterwards yes and so Um, it ends up more expensive and there are a lot of religious traditions that say that you can't 
divorce for abuse, that abuse is not grounds for divorce. And I ran an article uh, earlier this year because Wayne Grudem, who's one of the primary proponents of that, recently changed his mind. After saying this for 30 years, he changed his mind. He never actually apologized, of course, to all the women who stayed in abusive marriages because of what he said beforehand. But he did acknowledge that abuse could be a form of abandonment. And so it was it was okay to divorce for abuse. And, you know, I, what I find so highly problematic about this is that we have known for decades that the effect of abuse on children is far worse than the effect of spouses' infidelity. Mm-hmm. And yet <laughs> we said that you couldn't divorce for abuse. And Focus on the Family, by the way, still stands by that. Yeah. Focus on the Family still says that you cannot divorce for abuse. You can separate for a time, but the goal should be to reconcile. And that's what this woman is saying. How can I save my marriage? And so this is very prevalent in the evangelical church that, yes, you can separate if you need to for your own safety, but then let's look at how we can how we can save this marriage. And so what you're essentially saying is someone having a one night stand, you know, someone having a fling for a couple of months is worse (laughs) than 20 years of emotional battering and abuse. Yeah. And it's just really backward because it doesn't value you. It doesn't have the same. God does not see you that way. God cares about you and God cares about those who are being abused. We see that throughout. Like, just look at what the prophets are talking about. When you read the Old Testament, look at the things that God is railing against the people for. And it's, it's injustice. It's, it's, it's beating up on the downtrodden. And so God does not take this lightly and we should not either. So I just want to encourage people to stop thinking in terms of how can I save my marriage and start thinking in terms of what does God want for me? Mm-hmm. How can I best serve God? Which is something she's asking. Yeah. But but the question is not how can I save my marriage? The question is what does God want for me as I walk forward? Yeah. Because God wants more for you than to just be a spouse. Yes. And I think that's when people, when people say things like I want to serve Jesus, they think and so then I must save my marriage. Yeah. But you can serve Jesus as more than a spouse. Mm-hmm. So if his calling for you is to honestly go back to the uh, ex-abusive spouse, mm-hmm. and they honestly are not abusive anymore, then do that. Mm-hmm. But understand that that is not the answer for everyone, and you need to be as shrewd as serpents. Yeah. I think that's how it is, yes. right? As innocent as doves, but, but as shrewd, shrewd as snakes. snakes. Yeah. Good faith does not mean that we allow the wool to be pulled over our eyes. And forgiveness does not mean that we ignore red flags. Mm-hmm. And that's just what's been missing in the conversation for so many people. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're allowed to just not go back. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, check it out with the licensed counselor. Talk it through with people. Whatever you do, wait for a long time. And as she was saying that, this one last thing, that specific person was saying she was having a hard time with forgiveness because she doesn't want him to have power over her anymore. You can forgive and not go back. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if for this particular woman, maybe the fact that she's having a hard time forgiving is actually more of a sign that she knows something's wrong deep inside, but she knows as soon as she forgives him, she's going to go back. And so she's like kind of subconsciously just holding off the forgiveness because she's yeah. trying to protect herself. Yeah. Like I, there's lots of other things that can be going on, but you may actually find that when you decide in your mind, yeah, I'm not going to be abused anymore. I'm not going to go back to him. The forgiveness is actually a little bit easier because the power is actually just completely taken away from him and it's back in your hands, yes. which is where it should be. We yeah. are not called yeah. to needlessly put ourselves into horrible abusive situations for Christ. Absolutely. 
And I want to do a big shout out in the middle of this podcast too for the Courage 365 conference. It's an amazing group for sexual abuse survivors. Every October, they normally have a big Courage conference, but because of COVID, they can't. So they're using this to their advantage and they are putting it all online and it is free. It's run by my friend Ashley Easter. She knows so much about sexual abuse. She's become an amazing advocate and it's for any survivor or advocate who wants to learn more about this, who wants to experience some healing, some breakthroughs, who wants to hear from experts. It's amazing. It's a free event, which is going to include daily empowerment, mini videos, weekly healing and empowerment challenges, and small face-to-face groups inside of Facebook meeting rooms. And they're also going to have weekly keynote speaker presentations followed with live Q&As by leading voices, including Leah Remini. Yes, that Leah Remini, like the one from the King of Queens, you know, and Scientology in the aftermath and all of that. Nationally known predator deception expert, Jimmy Hinton, and so many more. And, and so do check it out. I've got the link in the podcast description here. It starts today, October 1st, and goes for 30 days through October 30th. It's totally free. And if you are a sexual abuse survivor or an advocate, it's such an amazing resource and please make use of it. Okay, one last question. We're back to sexual abuse here. It's not necessarily a man who abuses you. My sister and I were molested at ages six and seven. We were molested and experimented with by a 12-year-old girl. I was the younger victim. This went on for some time until we literally moved away due to my parents' separation. We were children who were afraid to say anything. I was later drugged and date raped at 15 years of age. I married at 18 and never understood what sexual relations were supposed to be until I was married for 40 plus years. Now after 48 years of marriage, we are figuring out what God had in mind. The scars were deeply embedded in my fragile mind and if it were not for a gentle and kindly understanding husband, I would be forever trapped in that abuse. It took many years of good counsel from a therapist and excellent reading material to unlock the child to allow biblical sexual freedom to emerge in me. And she says, Dan Allender's book, The Wounded Heart, which we will link to in um, the podcast description because it is a really great book, uh, is a fine work to navigate what it takes to become wholly integrated into a sexual confident adult woman. Wow. So she just wanted uh, wanted us to know that. And I, I thought this was important to end with because, first of all, it does show there is hope. Yeah. <laughs> Our prayer for you is that you don't have to wait 40 years. Yeah. She went through so much and amazingly even after all that she married a good guy i know like she married at 18 to an excellent patient loving guy who it sounds like when they finally actually talked about what this was experiencing for her yeah he was like totally on board to be like oh let's like fix that yeah <laughs> so it's kind of how what rachel was saying at the beginning too how this can be a real redemptive road yeah. and i love that picture yeah. and and that's really a picture that that she painted as well so we will put the link to that book but i did want to read her i thought this is a great point that she made is that abusers are not always male yeah you can be abused by a woman too and that can really mess you up and let's also remember that abused people are not always female yeah (laughs) because many men i think it's one in six is it i think yeah they estimate around one in six but it's really difficult because there's much more shame and stigma around being abused as a man Mm -hmm. and so fewer men are willing to say that they were abused right than women and and remember that abuse doesn't just isn't just penetration as the one woman said it it can be touching it can even be showing very young kids pornography can also be abusive and is illegal in many places by the way (laughs) yes it's hard to know we always have problems as canadians talking about what's illegal in the states because you guys have like 50 it's so weird we just have most of this stuff is federal yeah (laughs) Yeah, all our stuff our our criminal stuff is all federal it's not it's not province-wide so we always find that weird how like something can be illegal in 17 states but not in like the other ones (laughs) 
<laughs> but I'm sure you guys find that even weirder than we do. But anyway, you know, sexual abuse is a real thing. And the fact that they were abused by a, a girl who was 12, I'm pretty sure that girl who was 12 was probably also abused herself. Yeah. Which is what is so awful as well. And, you know, because often when we're abused, we need to work it out. We need to figure this stuff out. And my husband, when he was uh, doing his medical school, he, he did uh, research projects for several summers. Uh, that was his job. He was in a pediatric abuse clinic and they were looking at pediatric abusers. So children who were abusers and the majority of them had also been abused. And so this is, this is a real problem. And this is why we need to get kids help when they, it doesn't mean that all kids, by the way, abuse. Like, no, 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 no. The vast majority do not. But it just messes you up in so many ways. Abuse messes you up. And usually you end up messing yourself up, not other people. Like usually you end up punishing yourself in some way. You get into bad relationships. You choose bad partners. I'm so glad this woman didn't. I know. <laughs> like way to go. Like that's wonderful. But we need to be real about this and, and let's get the help that we need, which means we need a lot more trauma-informed therapists. I know a lot of people who read my blog are thinking about going into counseling and I think that's a wonderful yeah. calling If you, because we need more counselors. And churches, we need more counselors on staff, but, but please choose licensed counselors. Yes. And licensed counselors have been specifically trained in more than just biblical counseling they they know evidence-based therapies of what of what has been shown to work they understand that not everything is just a spiritual failing there are real biological things that affect the brain (laughs) and that that need help and on top of that they're also able to differentiate Mm -hmm. between when something needs medication Mm -hmm. versus when someone maybe should go more on just a talk therapy basis. Yes. Like everyone has this idea that as soon as you become a licensed counselor, you're just pushing pills the whole time. Mm -hmm. First of all, counselors are not able to prescribe. They have to get a referral, but also most psychology schools, at least in Canada, Mm -hmm. it's very well understood that you don't do medication long-term unless you have to. It's not like we're just trying to medicate everyone. It's like, Mm -hmm. no medication is a tool used for many Mm-hmm. But also a lot of people do just simply need someone to talk things through. Yeah. And there is a, a difference there that you are trained to figure out. Mm-hmm. And then the big thing is that when you are licensed, it means your license can be taken away. Yes, that's the big <laughs> one. Which means that there are ethical guidelines that you are required to follow. Well, and also having a license means that you do have the education in certain areas and you are guaranteed to have had education in these areas to the extent that like the Canadian Psychiatrist Association or the sorry the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association the CCPA or whatever approves of whereas mm-hmm. if you are an unlicensed counselor for example biblical counselors there's a whole variety of biblical counseling training centers some of which are likely excellent. Mm-hmm. Some of which are objectively not. Mm-hmm. Just from stories we've heard, even from the last five years, because we get a lot of people pushing back saying, like, yeah, but that was 40 years ago, it's changed. Well, that 98 ways you can sin against your husband that mm-hmm. I read was given out last year at Harvest last Bible Chapel. Year. Last year at Harvest Bible Chapel in yeah. Chicago. 98 ways you can sin against your husband. I will put the link to that too. It's atrocious. Yeah. So that's the <laughs> problem, is that when you have a license, that means that a governing body has said, hey, you've passed our test. Mm-hmm. We know that you have the basics mm-hmm. in this stuff. Mm-hmm. No one does that if you're unlicensed. Right. So you can maybe get an excellent counselor or maybe get one who's going to make your trauma even worse 
and leave you feeling spiritually abused on top of sexually and physically abused. Yep. And the other thing is that licensed counselors, they have privacy guidelines that they yeah. have to they have to abide by. They cannot disclose anything about you nope. unless you are a danger to yourself or others. And even then, there's only very specific ways that they can disclose. Like you being a danger to yourself does not mean that they get to then call your best friend. Right. It means they call a psych ward at a hospital floor yes. and they, you know, ha- help you make sure that you're not going to harm yourself or mm-hmm. they walk with you to call the police if there has mm-hmm. been a crime done. Like it's those kinds of things. It's not like, oh, well then he gets to call my husband. Right. And whereas when you sign a biblical counseling form at a church and you consent to counseling, you are consent. If you look at the privacy guidelines there, they are saying that they can talk to any previous counselors that you went to, to talk, to talk about your issues. So they can phone someone. If you're in persistent sin, they can talk to church leadership, but it's not to find what persistent sin is. And let me give you an example. The Village Church, very large church run by Matt Chandler, they got in trouble in 2015 because there was a woman named Karen Hinckley. And I'm not disclosing that she talked to the press about this. So, oh, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. very, very yeah. vocal. And... Like, way to go, Karen. Yeah. Anyway, she married someone who was addicted to child pornography mm-hmm. and she left him and the Village Church put her under church discipline because of that. And so the so she was declared in persistent sin. Because, Not the guy who was watching child porn. Right. And so this is the problem, is that what we've seen is that many biblical counselors will put the person who won't forgive the abusive husband who says that he's repented. And it's like, no, you're not the one in persistence in here. But they say that she is, and then they talk to the pastors, they talk to the elders, they put her under church discipline. And this is why your counseling should never be mixed with your personal life. Mm-hmm. Because your counselor has so much social power over you yeah. because they know everything about you. Yeah. And so that's why you need a licensed counselor because then they aren't allowed to talk to your buddies who are on the elders board. Yeah. They aren't allowed to tell your pastor. They aren't allowed to take any measures if you're just not acting in a way that they think that you should act. Right. You know, the only way they're ever allowed to break your bubble is mm-hmm. if a law is being broken or you are a harm to yourself or others. Yeah. And again, we just want to stress that the church has not done this well. Um, there's no. an anecdote in Love and Respect where the man had been physically abusive to the wife. He'd left the home because of the physical abuse. So she'd, she'd gotten herself safe and then he repented. And so she let him back into the home and then he was still raging at her and angry. And so what what Emerson Egrett said she had to do was she had to learn how not to react to his anger. Yeah. So and she essence, had to learn to respect him despite that. Yeah. So now the responsibility for his abuse is put on her shoulders because she's not respecting him enough. Totally ignoring the love. And even though Emerson Egrett says, you know, if you're being physically abused, call the police. He totally ignores the phenomenon of love bombing, which is really common where the abused spouse finally speaks up and says, no, I'm not taking this anymore. Get out. Like, I need to keep myself safe. And then the abuser says, oh, I'm so sorry. I repent. They say all the right Christian words. They give you flowers. They make lists of all the bad things they've done. They confess everything. They they bomb you with love so that you'll let them back in so that the whole cycle can, can start again. And this is extremely common licensed counselors know about this (laughs) and they're not fooled by the idea of just repentance what they're looking for is consistency over time and their their priority is not going to be to save your marriage yes their priority is going to keep you safe yes and so a lot of christian resources have just dealt with this so badly and so we're not saying don't see a christian counselor no i know so many amazing christian licensed therapists which is how i started all this and so i want to end it on this if you are a christian thing of going into counseling please go the licensed route yes 
you know, often it doesn't take any more time. A lot of the biblical counseling programs are really long. Are two years, too. Yeah, yeah. So, so please go the licensed route. It really matters. We need more of you. And churches, if you're thinking of adding counseling, you know, a great idea is to put money in a pool so that you can send people to licensed counselors and get them the help they need with someone who's really trained in this stuff because we need a lot more of this. We need to see healing in the church, but that only comes when we acknowledge that sometimes we're not trained in everything yes and this stuff is really deep like sexual abuse affects people really deeply and so we need to get them qualified help so i know this has been a deep one a deep podcast and a heavy one but thank you for joining us this month on the blog coming up in october we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff because our orgasm course is going to be launching near the end of the month we're hoping uh that's what we're planning on and so we're going to change gears we're not going to talk about abuse we're going to talk about yeah you know orgasm having fun building sexual confidence all that great stuff we just did libido in september which was kind of heavy actually but we want to turn to some some really fun stuff and, and help women experience some breakthroughs in october so so come on and join us to love on and and remember if you like this podcast do rate it five star and leave a review because it helps other people find it so thanks for joining us and we will see you next week again on the to love honor and vacuum podcast 